one thing I, I would hope that through knowledge of Samba Funk and just how we really turn to our ancestors, that people would look at our example and look at themselves and try to figure out who they are as people in this on this planet and what they're giving back. Maybe it'll help them define their purpose on, on why they're here and who they are as it relates to their family. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about finding your unexpected path to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman, and on today's show, we're joined by Theo Williams. He's the artistic director at Samba Funk. He has lived a really interesting life. We talk all about his background and the culture of dance and what he is doing with Samba Funk here in the Bay Area through dance and through community. And I'm really excited to share more of Theo's story with you all. We started talking and I hit record, so you're going to jump into the conversation as we're having it. I'm really excited for you all to learn more about Theo, and let's get to the show. And so, do you go by your your full name? No, I don't <laughs> go by my full name, but I go by part of my full name. Tell me. I'm tell one me. of those, uh, like, 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 like the Latin families where you have, like... <laughs> 14 different names. You know, I've been using my grandparents' names. So my name is is Theo Williams. Okay. And um, my grandmother's name is A-Chain. Okay. But I use most of my grandparents' names, which is Watson and Mitchell Williams A-Chain. Okay. So I just shorten it and just say Theo A-Chain Williams. Okay. All right. I love that. And is that just keeping the keeping the heritage and, and keeping your your ancestors and your grandparents in in mind and in heart pretty much and and then you, when you add that name when you show people what your your name your bloodlines come from you never know like for us african americans we've been separated our families have been broken up we don't know our original names we don't know our original language now you can do some dna tests and kind of figure out what area of the continent you came from and what portion of blood came from here and there and that type of stuff. But really knowing who we are and charting it down is really difficult. So you never know. It's like if your last name is a price and you'd be like, oh, I never knew you were a price. <laughs> right, you're right. like, oh, okay, we have a lot of price. Where are you all from? Like, we're from Texas. Oh, we're from Texas. <laughs> right, you know, right. It's, ex- it's exposing more of your your background and, and that potential yeah. of connecting. Yeah. I love that. And and so much of that that history of um African diaspora culture and and all of that is is really at the root of what drew you to becoming a dancer and a teacher and and the mission of of Samba Funk. And I want to hear uh, about that. At what moment in your your life did being in touch with the the history and the importance of that start to really resonate for you? For me, being raised in Oakland, California, and I was raised really, I had a real close relationship with my grandparents, and my grandparents were part of that great black migration from the South. You had a lot of people that were leaving in the 40s and the 50s. A lot of people went straight up to Chicago, Detroit area. Some people ended up in um, New York, and then you had a lot of people that went out West. People um, went to Oklahoma and beyond yeah. Oklahoma and definitely here in California. You, you can talk to a lot of people and they tell the stories, families from Louisiana, families from Mississippi, 
Texas even. Um, yeah. Our families are actually from Arkansas, um, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Mm-hmm. My grandfather's from Louisiana. And they wanted to get out of basically chattel slavery. It's interesting because both of my grandparents, my mother's father and my father's father left under duress and harassment. My father's father left under duress from the Ku Klux Klan out of Mississippi. And they just packed everything they had and just went west and they ended up in Berkeley. And so my dad was born down south, but he was raised in the Bay. Okay. And same thing with my mom. I think my mom was born in Arkansas and maybe at three months or seven months, that's when they decided to leave Arkansas and, and come out west and they ended up in West Oakland. And um, and in any case, they tell the story. My my mother's father, his story is is that his grandfather was actually the slave owner. So you're talking about the 1800s here, um, and his father, who was mixed, mm-hmm. who uh, his his dad was his dad was a slave owner, right? And the slave owner, uh, old man Alfred. He had uh, families with two of the slaves. Yeah. But one of the, the slaves, her name was, was Mary. She wanted to have her own family and, you know, get out of that type of relationship. And he granted her her freedom to do that. And she went and married a Watson. Mm. And that's our family name. Okay. My, so my, we actually, it's funny. And this is, I think this is part of one of those crazy Southern stories. Our bloodline, we are actually the Alfords. And I've researched them. They have a, a strong family crest, and they're all over. And you can trace them back to Wales or somewhere in <laughs> Europe and stuff like that. They have reunions and whatnot. But um, do you yeah. ever reach out? I mean, we—it's funny. We have a big family reunion this weekend oh, wow. in Louisiana, in the country town that most of the folks are from, because the Alfreds are still there and the Watsons are still there, uh-huh. and they're cousins, but they don't even kind of relate or connect with one another. Right, or but, acknowledge um, the the connection. And some of them do, but, you know, just generally speaking, because basically you have the Alfreds that look like you, and I don't know if your viewers, of course, they can't see you, they can hear <laughs> us, but, you know, you're a white American man, and then you have the Watsons who look like me, yeah. and I'm a black American man. Right. So, but they're cousins. Does that Does that happen a lot, where there are these connected families, but oh, they, don't, yeah. they don't acknowledge... The, oh yeah, the connection. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it happened a lot, especially down south. You know, you got to think that back then, um, any young black woman's body really wasn't hers, and there was no rights for black families. So you're talking about at the whim of basically anybody. Um, anybody could just be sexually taken advantage of, and out of those. Uh, type of situations there were children that were born yeah and different situations and stuff especially when you talk about louisiana you know that happened a lot and you have a lot of the mixing of the creole and all that type of stuff so my family has some of that as well because we're from louisiana but you know fast forward back we're here in um Oakland. Right. And I being connected with my grandparents and understanding that we did have Southern roots, there was always a, a interest in who we were and what, why we're here and yeah. how we got here. And even beyond our Southern roots, like who we were as a people. 
Yeah. And when did the passion for dance start to emerge for you? I know the story of your mom taking mm-hmm. you uh I want to hear I want to hear you describe that that story and I also want to hear about maybe it's a bigger question that that connection to your your past and your ancestors and how dance helps you express that and also expose more people to the culture. But take me back to that that first moment with your with your mom and what that what that felt like if you can remember. Yeah, it's interesting too and and I say that, but it really is interesting because as a youth, I didn't know what it was. It's, it's kind of out there, but I was exposed to West African drumming through my mom and my mom um I think she danced some, but that really wasn't her thing. But she did have a girlfriend that danced and she just brought me with her one time I was tagging along and it was a West African dance class at, at a park in Oakland called Mosswood Park, which is a legendary park. It's a lot of cultural events have gone on there throughout the years. Yeah. And how old were you? Mm, I don't know. Maybe I was five, six, seven, something okay. like that. Yeah. I was yeah. small. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not that big now, but I yeah. <laughs> was a small guy then. Young. You're very young. Yeah, I was yeah. young. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the drums, they just resonated in my spirit for decades. I didn't even know what it was. Sometimes I would be sleeping and I could just hear this rhythmic pattern in my mind. And I it was it wasn't haunting in a sense, but it was it made me question what is it that I hear? It was like calling out to you. It was yeah. like it was like a, it, it was like in, internal in, inside you. This kind of beat, like this drum beat. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it really would come on kind of on a subconscious level because, like I said, I would I would be sleep or waking from being sleep, and I would wake and I feel this this rhythmic spirit and I was mm-hmm. like I don't know what this is <laughs> and so I I've always had a, a sense of my identity of you know my cultural identity our family is is we had all types of folks in our family so it was never any situation our problem with that is very open non-prejudiced yeah. kind of situation that I grew up in yeah. but even in that I always had a personal uh, affection for my cultural heritage and my blackness. And I was that kind of child. Um, but being connected with Africa, we didn't have that type of understanding mm-hmm. of who we were as uh, people that were in Africa and ended up down south and then ended up, you know, out west. It was really like our southern roots. Right, right, right. That's where it was. Right. You know. And, and was this kind of drumming that you would hear and this like spirit that was calling to you did that help kind of propel you into dance and at the same time kind of want you or make you want to investigate like the 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 way back and and Africa and how it all connects well once i what once i figured out that cuz i had taken modern dance okay but at and and i was in college but i didn't feel that same connection was that the, the the next time that you really picked up dance again? Or you after that, when you were a kid, you started to you know dance as a, a young person and and all that? Or, or really in college, was it that kind of first kind of picking it up a little more professionally? 
Yeah, I think in college for sure. Coming up as a child, I was doing more music. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody wants you going to learn how to play piano. You're going to learn how to play the guitar. You're right, going to learn right. how to play a horn. Yeah. You know. And you I didn't play up. a drum set. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so surprised. You were like, I'm, I'm going to learn the drum set. <laughs> well, that was the one that I felt that I could naturally do. Oh, you know, cool, So it cool. was easier to, nice. to get into that. But um, I studied piano. Okay. You know, not well and not long. <laughs> enough to learn a couple chords. And, yeah. You know, I played violin. No, cool. and they were that was forced upon me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I felt more connection with the drums. Right. So I think that that's another reason why that that rhythmic pattern, the drumming, that West African drumming of that particular day. I mean, it was. I didn't. It's not like I had a history of going to classes repetitively and this is why it stuck it was like that one time right and it was there for years and years and years so when i finally was exposed to a west african drum class um as a young adult i was like whoa okay <laughs> this is it this, right, is, this right. is what i you know what i've been hearing all along it's like it finally it just kind of dawned on me it was like one of those aha moments Mm -hmm. one day and at this point now we're in atlanta okay you know i'm not even in california anymore yeah and then that's that's, where you were in school that's where well i was originally in san diego state okay and then i ended up finishing at clark atlanta okay cool so i went back to school i learned the party ways and i was (laughs) like i need to get down and you know kind of finish but um yeah, so in Atlanta, that's when I began exploring African dance. I've always had like a African consciousness, yeah. But then this is where the art really began to come in. Nice. And so, were you also like studying African culture? Was that something you were just pursuing on your own? Was this discovery of of dance and and your ancestry kind of emerging at the same time, or it was all just kind of part of you, and it's not—it's not easy to kind of like dissect those moments. No, it's, it, 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 it. So let's go back at the time. So just for our listeners, yeah, we're talking about late '80s, early '90s. You know, so if you are old enough to remember, or just Google it, <laughs> you will see that that was the era when. Um, Public Enemy was yeah. coming on the scene. You had a lot of politically conscious and politically charged yep. hip hop music that was out there. People were wearing their Malcolm X hats, mm-hmm. and you know that movie was going to be out on the scene as well. They yeah. were wearing Africa, so there was a sense of consciousness that was going out throughout the com- community, not only in California but throughout the whole country. So you had that time. So it was really more like a natural progression of things of wanting to know who you were and what you were about and where you're from and just doing a little bit more a deeper dive culturally and it it was that way for me as well yeah that's great and so after college when did you start kind of dancing more professionally or offering classes like what were those kind of years after college like for you my road led me on to being an arts advocate first I worked for the city of Atlanta in a Bureau of Cultural Affairs and um, supported artists through an organization called Materials for the Arts Mm -hmm. and then helped write a couple of grants to bring money into the programs to support other artists in that way. So I was was really much more of an advocate than anything. I've always 
danced recreationally. Yeah. Because there's a whole nother level of uh, within the dance community of folks that just take class after class after class after class. They may be really, really good. They may perform a couple of times, but um, like like a lot of folks, they have their own job and this is their passion. Right, right. Um, and then that led me into coming back to California and coming back to California at this point, I'm still primarily interested in West African dance. Yeah. But the Bay Area is so rich in in cultural dance, all types of cultural dance, not even African-centered dance, but, you know, dance from Thailand and, I mean, just sacred Asian dances that you can't get in other parts of the country you can find here and and a lot of really great masters and folks that go to these foreign lands and study and bring the information back. So and the they're Bay performing rich. And, and teaching and and doing all sorts of yeah experiences for for people to yeah that's amazing. So that's the Bay. Yeah. And my return, I began to learn about African Brazilian dance. Brazilian dance. I had a sister who was super involved and she was like if you like west african because she danced everything she's a dancer yeah and um she was she said you would like this so when i came it was a group called fogon europa which is still uh in existence in the mission in san francisco it was led at that time by uh, founder creator mestre carlos acetuno and that's someone that i danced with in four and um, it was also the timing of it again. We're talking about the timing. Yeah. was just prior to San Francisco Carnival. So it was a big ramp up. It was a lot of energy. It was, the, it was a full band, bateria, a lot of dancers, and people were really into it. For me, I had no idea what I was getting into. I just <laughs> saw it. It seemed like a lot of fun. It was like, how can you not be a part of this? Yes, I'm in, you know. And I had come at this point, I had come from um Atlanta yeah. and we had our own large celebrations and we had homecoming. So black college marching bands. And so I was really used to a uh, uh, euphoric type of atmosphere right. and having fun. And when I saw that in this, I'm like, hey, this is great. And then the ratio was awesome. It was like four guys and about 45 ladies. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm in. And the drums and everything. So I studied with Carlos from um, maybe 2000 to around 2005. Okay. And that's when um, he tragically and unexpectedly had a heart attack at 45. And that kind of sent the community in a disarray because yeah. it was unexpected and uh, things really weren't in place for folks to pick up because nobody would think that they would have to pick up and Carlos didn't set it up that way. So the organization in San Francisco continued. Well, let me backtrack on that. Um, yeah. The His co-director at the time who introduced me to um, the art of African, um, African-Brazilian dance, mm-hmm. she began, she picked up after Carlos, her name is Regina Calloway, she picked up afterward and began classes in Oakland and San Francisco okay. and ran them simultaneously, I think maybe about a year, a year and a half or so, and then decided to pass the classes on. She passed the class over to Fogo Naropa mm-hmm. um, and they maintain it like they do today in San Francisco. And... Um, for Oakland, there was um, a short period of time where there were classes, but then there was a big void. 
So I would say after maybe four or five years, I just looked at an empty studio space at the Malanga Cascalora Center, which is in downtown Oakland. That's a cultural center that's owned by the city of Oakland. And that's where Carlos's class, his Fogo class would happen in Oakland at four o'clock. And I just saw an empty space and it was just really touching. And I I thought that there would be, it's such a waste that no one would ever know that same type of joy and excitement from dance and drum that I had experienced in this room. I've been looking at this room now, like I said, for four or five years, and there's nothing going on here at this time. It's like, and I can't believe that it was so, it was at such a height. Right. And now it's nothing. And that's when I began to, you know, say that I wanted to teach. And, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of, formal dance training since since then yeah i've been to brazil numerous times and been back and forth to west africa and brought in other master teachers and taking workshops myself so i've worked to get my skills up to par Mm -hmm. but um yeah that's kind of like my story and where we are now hi everyone i want to tell you about our new sponsor They're called Soothe, and it's the leading on-demand massage service. Now, you might think making ways, creative careers, massage, how are these things all connected? Well, I'll tell you, self-care and being kind to yourself and giving yourself time to daydream, time to exercise, time to sleep well and eat right and see friends and family and also get physical care is so important to the creative process and it's so important to being productive and getting great work done so i'm really excited to offer you all 20 dollars off your first booking with soothe if you go to soothe.com you can download the app and it's really amazing they will come to your house so all of this is at your home they can come to your office it's all on demand they can be there as soon as one hour from when you sign up for it. And they've got everything they need to show up at your house or your office or even your hotel to recreate the spa experience in that place. So they bring the linens and the music and the oils and everything. So check out Soothe. Go to Soothe.com. Use offer code MAKINGWAYS for $20 off your first booking. It's sponsors and partners like Soothe that make bringing this podcast to everyone for free possible. So I'm so excited to have Soothe on board. I hope you'll check them out. That's Soothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com. Okay, now let's get back to the show. And so you you were doing all those trips and learning all that over those years, or you, you started doing that the moment you realized you wanted to, to restart this? Pretty much the moment that I realized that I, I wanted to restart it, because it's kind of one thing you're like, okay... <laughs> I want to start a podcast, but I know nothing about audio. Right, you right, know what right. I'm saying? So, so let me do something. Let me take this online course about sure. audio mixing. Or so, you know, you just yeah, you got to you got to learn it up. So you see, you saw this space and you said, "This can't be." I'm going to figure out all of the the things I need to learn in order to teach in this space and revitalize it. And so you went out, you did all these trips, and I mean. That sounds like how you kind of brought your speed, brought yourself up to speed, kind of from a dance perspective. How about from like a business perspective? Because I mean, so you started just as classes, but ultimately this would 
roll out into a whole organization and nonprofit. So how did that evolution happen and how hard has that been? <laughs> well, it's, it's been fun. Fun. Good. Can I say it's good. been fun? Good. And that probably is the, the one of the reasons why we've been able to succeed because I felt better prepared as a business person moving into this realm than as a performing artist and or artistic director. Yeah. So I had no understanding of the role of an artistic director. Although growing up, my family has had small businesses. Yeah. So I've, you know, done everything from sweeping to running a cash register to customer service and follow up. And I learned that at a young age. So I kind of applied those things into creating what we have now. But like you said, there is definitely a learning curve Mm -hmm. on arts, running an arts organization, because we're in the Bay Area. You have some really great um, arts organizations. So the standard is high, but it's good too, because you also can use these organizations as mentors and, We've been going around that route, but it has been challenging um, the development of Samba Fund. Prior, we were doing the work of a nonprofit, but basically we were a for-profit entity, Mm. you know, as it relates to taxes and, you know, how the taxes are filed. Um, We were Schedule C under under my taxes, you know, so we just reported everything like a business expense. But it wasn't a separate entity in and of itself. Right. And, and when did that happen? When did it spin out? About two years ago. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're approaching our second year as a nonprofit. And, you know, all the stuff that, that it takes to find a board, find an advisory council. Again, you have to file with the state mm-hmm. as a nonprofit, which is a different process right. than filing like a LLC or, you know, a sole proprietorship. And then, of course, you file with the... Um, IRS, and then they decide what type of designation they're going to give you. And luckily, they gave us a charitable organization so we can receive um, donations as a charity. That's great. So we're a cultural charity. So for listeners who haven't heard of Samba Funk, maybe just tell people kind of the the core of the organization, what you all offer, and, and what you're trying to accomplish for the, the community. Right on. Well, Samba Funk is a collective of uh, performing artists, some professional, uh, most of amateur, uh, some paid, but mostly volunteer. Yeah. And we focus on African diasporic art and culture. And we have a strong base in the Brazilian culture, but we also include um, African culture, West African culture, but we present it in a way that's very African-American and an approach that's very Bay Area-ish. Nice. You know? So we, we uh, flip the script and keep it fun and keep it fresh. One thing that uh, as an artistic director, an approach that we like to present through our work is it, making sure that it connects with the, the people and the culture society of folks now. So it's good that if you're presenting something that's traditional and they've been doing this for 500 years or 1,000 years, that's great. Right. And you should hold those traditions. But if you're presenting that and nobody can understand what it is that you're doing and what you're saying, that's not 
the that's not giving them the type of energy and emotion and connection that we want them to feel yeah. when they see our art. Because you want people to feel connected and be interested and, and find a bridge to relate back to their daily lives or something they can take back, not just say, oh, that that's a nice thing. It belongs like over there. I can observe it you know, from time to time. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I think what the African drumming, just the drum in general, not even the African drum, but just drumming in general uh, does. And it will move you because you're creating vibrations. You right. boom is going out into the atmosphere and then out into the universe. And it you have to be, we look at it like you have to be very intentional about what you're doing. So it's, it's we always, it always looks like we're having fun because an element of what we do is carnival, mm-hmm. you know? So, and when people think about carnival, they probably have a number of different images, but I'm sure that they're seeing music and dancing and nice looking costumes right. and shiny bodies and sometimes feather and glitter and that whole thing. So how can people get involved in Samba Funk? Like what what's your hope in terms of the impact on the community? And then how do you want the community to kind of come back to you and en- engage with you all? Well, one thing I, I would hope that through knowledge of Samba Funk and just how we really turn to our ancestors that people would look at our example and look at themselves and try to figure out who they are as people in this on this planet and what they're giving back maybe to help them define their purpose on on why they're here and who they are as it relates to their family because it's not only african-american families that really don't understand their family history it's a lot of families that only know their nuclear family history and maybe their grandparents, but not really their grandparents' grandparents. They may be able to tell the story where we came over from such and such and we ended at, landed on Ellis Island and then from there, blah, blah, blah. And I don't really, my grandfather doesn't really talk to his brother anymore and blah, blah, but he's somewhere up and you know what I mean? So it's a lot of broken families, separated families. Um, So hopefully that's one of the things yeah. That people can just kind of see it's like, okay, this is a group of artists, a group of people here that are family oriented and they care about the origins of their family, if nothing more than just for knowledge to know where you're where you're from. And what about your own dancing? I mean, you're running the organization, you're the artistic director, you're engaging in the community and, and running all these programs and celebrations. How much do you actually get to get on the floor and dance and and drum and and do all that now. Uh, I it's interesting because I'm working my way out of a lot. Not really working my way out for my for for the for you funquarians that are listening. I'm not going anywhere. You know, <laughs> I talk about this all the time. But to run an organization, you have to have support, and you have to feel comfortable with delegating and relinquishing some control. Right. You know, we're never in control. But to the degree that you think that you are in control, you're right. going to have to share that and then trust your people. So um, now that we are a young arts organization, I'm looking to do that more and more. So um, it frees up time, but then I'm also sharing more time. Right. So when it comes to stage time and performing, I do some performing, um, but the core dance team it's their time to shine on stage. Yeah. You know, uh, when it comes to teaching, 
I'm still the the primary instructor. Okay. So I I teach uh, three times a week, Mm -hmm. Tuesday in San Francisco at the African-American Cultural Complex right up from City Hall, uh, Sundays in Oakland at the Malanga Cascalor Center, a couple of street, uh, streets down from Oakland City Hall yeah. on 14th and Alice, and then an outdoor class at the lake in Oakland at Lake Merritt on Wednesday evening. So that's awesome. That's pretty much. And I mean, it sounds like your career has been like very fluid. I'm sure there were, you know, bumps along the way, but it's, it seems like you kind of flowed into this opportunity and, and this world that you're living in now. Looking back, were there kind of pivotal choices that you had to make that got you closer to doing all the stuff that you love for yourself and for the community and, and other choices you could have made that, that you were on the, you know, on the brink of that would have sent you in another direction. You think about those, those times, is is there anything that kind of comes to mind that, that you're, you're glad you, you didn't go left instead of right or what it might be? Yeah, I'm glad I didn't take those extra student loans. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, because I have friends now that are still paying off eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 worth of student loans. Um, government doesn't really talk about it much. You hear that. But, you know, you have a lot of young people in their 30s and now in their 40s. They're still paying off student loans. They're yeah. raising children, stand up paying off student loans. So, Did you not go to school or did you just not take the loans? I, that's what I'm saying. I didn't take those loans. I took uh, at state, I took uh, um, two loans for $2,500 and I owe $5,000. And um, Clark Atlanta was a private school. I actually got a Denny scholarship and Denny's actually paid off my old student loans and paid for one year, which was the year I needed to finish at Clark. Wow. Um, but before that, I was just, like you said, I was just hustling and paying. But in my mind, I uh, because I've come from a, um, a small business and entrepreneurial type of family, Yeah, not going into debt and not carrying a lot of debt I've always lived with. So that's, that's having that mentality that yeah. you don't want to, you don't want to have that debt. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can't be free. You're always a slave to the debt. So if you're, if to answer your question, that was my decision. And to do that, um, I don't have a, I have a, a nice car, but it's an old car. Yeah. Yeah. I have a small space. My space is, I've, not too much larger than your recording studio. So yeah. that's one thing that I sac- sacrificed in Atlanta. I had a three bedroom house with a front yard and a backyard. I think I was paying $600 when wow. I was buying a house at that rate. <laughs> wow. And then I moved back out here and, you know, I'm in an artist studio, but yeah. I'm in a great location. I'm, I live in the building. I work in the building. I run the business out of the building. That's great. So it's good. But that's my sacrifice. I don't have a lot of space. Right. And I don't have a lot of overhead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's great advice, too, for creatives and entrepreneurs. You know, the the least amount of debt you can accrue, the more more free you'll be to, you know, to live the life that, that you want to lead and, and uh, you know, have the, the things in the space around you uh, uh, appropriate to that. Yeah. I don't know what's coming up for Samba Funk over the rest of this, uh, this year through, through 2018. Like what's, what's big. I mean, Carnival is in the rear view. So like, what are the next few months in terms of uh, like big focus areas? We are holding, we have an annual 
um, artists, international artists in residency program, where in the spring we try to bring an artist from Brazil um, to work with us prior to carnival. And in the summer we like to bring an artist to keep the program fresh. And we usually work with a um, dancer, but she's more than a dancer. She's a mestra. She teaches capoeira, which is Brazilian martial arts. And she's also a drummer and she's a great dancer. Her name is Hernata. And um, she's coming in in a couple of, of weeks and whenever this airs, but she's coming in in August. Nice. And she usually gets here in August and she brings a lot of excitement from Brazil. She's stationed in Denmark. Okay. So she teaches in Denmark and Sweden. Her husband is from Denmark, I believe. Cool. So she comes out here. She brings a lot of energy. We have a big event at the end of the year called the joy is our joy party nice and it's always the what is it the second saturday of december okay so if you go online or you know whenever you if you listen to this and it's october and you're <laughs> right, like right. i want to make it it's like you haven't missed it still <laughs> you perfect. can still come out but one of the things that we do when our international artist is here is we have the classes outdoors and we like to use public space because nice. we know that public spaces being claimed and yeah. um, we want to make sure that that the arts and drums are always welcome so we move our art in in the way of achieving some type of cultural equity and then also achieving uh, space just yeah. just having space when you come out there you can see people having fun and you know really creating um, innovative creative environments for folks to engage with so yeah, I would encourage your listeners to check out Samba Funk. You know, come check out a class. We're in the city on Tuesdays. You might want to just check in and make sure the Tuesday class is going on. Nice. It's it's, it's, uh, um, it's not heavily attended. You know, we get about 10 to 15 dancers mm-hmm. uh, compared to the to Oakland classes that yeah. get 30 dancers and up. So if you are in the city, I know it's a podcast that's going out all over the world. Yeah. But if you're in San Francisco or visiting San Francisco, we would love for you to come check us out on a Tuesday night at the uh, Cultural Center. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to start with... Uh... Uh, the number one listener of this podcast. That's me. Right. And um, I'm really excited to check out Samba Funk. And uh, I love the music that you are creating. I love the um, the experiences through dance and the celebrations. So I want to come uh, check you guys out at, uh, you know, doing your thing live. Yeah, uh, man. You got to put a bell city. in your hand. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, that's all join good. Join the parade. I'll join right in. Theo, thank you so much for joining the show. This has been really, really fun and love learning about your background and about Samba Funk, too. Thank you for having me, Samba Funk, baby. That was my conversation with Theo Williams of Samba Funk. I hope you all enjoyed the conversation. I really enjoyed meeting Theo and learning more about his background, and I'm so excited to share more of his story with you all. If you live in the Bay Area and you're interested in checking out Samba Funk, Theo and the team at Samba Funk have been so kind as to offer listeners of Making Ways their first class free at Samba Funk, and we were just chatting after the show, and thinking about ways that uh, more listeners could get more involved. And so if you use the code MAKINGWAYS, just email them at sambafunky at gmail.com. Email them, use the code MAKINGWAYS, tell them you heard about it during the podcast, and you'll get the first class free with Samba Funk. So excited for you all to check it out, and I'm looking forward to hearing your feedback about this episode too. 
Be sure to subscribe for the Making Ways newsletter at makingwayspodcast.com. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. It's such an amazing way for more people to discover the show. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim Heffernan in the mix. Follow us on all the social medias. I love hearing from you, and I'll see you next time. 